You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, committed to conservation. Been thinking about changing our intro music and our little campfire crackle to something a little more, a little more festive, like uh, maybe some R&B. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't know. I've been thinking about it. Like everybody, everybody always listens to the intro because you have to, but nobody ever listens to the outro. I don't think. Like I think once the podcast is over, everybody just clicks. Yeah, I don't, clicks, listen, to I don't listen to anybody's outro uh-uh. ever, so nobody ever knows how we how we close it out. So I could leave that the same, and nobody'd ever know. But I thought about. How about throwing a little Easter egg in there in the outro. The outro is something different, like a little. For somebody who listens all the way through, have something a little weird. Be like, call this number at X time and <laughs> receive a free $100 gift certificate to Cabela's or something. That's an Easter egg. Uh, people will be listening to the outro now. <laughs> yeah, people are going to listen to this outro and there's going to be nothing there's in there. There's nothing for you. There's going to be nothing for you. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've got a suggestion on a cool season three intro. We're open to ideas. You and your brother. Yeah, we thought about doing a little bluegrass sesh. Um, I did a little jamming last night. Did you? Uh Man, I haven't. Well, that's a lie. I did get out my Martin guitar and mess with it a little bit last week. First time in months that I've picked it up. But uh, Still remember how to do it? Yeah, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. I still remember my fingers aren't nearly as tough as they used to be. Oh, sure. Calluses are kind of gone. My hand was cramping up. Matter of fact playing music stringed instruments my hands they cramp up pretty bad after an hour or two mine do too and uh i don't know i'm i don't really like that feeling <laughs> don't like my tr- don't need my trigger finger cramping up yeah <laughs> you're le- but it's your left that cramps up though both isn't my it? hands really? cramp up. yeah because i do a lot of finger picking yeah so both my hands sure. cramp up pretty bad but anyways that's not what we're talking about today got a whole got a i don't know what would you call it a hodgepodge yeah, I'd call it a topics. Um, but first, just so you know, we've got some exciting guests coming to the show um, sooner than later. So you won't have to listen to just me and Sam for much longer. Um, we got a, uh, a historian and a friend of mine and Sam's coming in who is, I would consider, the authority, the authority on Daniel Boone. And we've talked about Boone on here before, um, but never to the detail that we're planning on talking about him um, coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, this this podcast we're going to turn loose in a couple of weeks. It's going to deal with Daniel Boone's life history while he was in North Carolina and why North Carolina has such a claim to Daniel Boone and our region in particular and how it kind of just how he began to form this country. Um, as a uh, outdoorsman, yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna get way into it, and it's gonna be exciting. And for those of you who like, when we talk about historical stuff, you're gonna want to make sure you uh, you get this one because it's gonna be things you may not even know about Boone. This guy has dedicated his whole life to Daniel Boone. Yeah. And so, anyways, we're gonna talk about it, and then we got another guest coming on. Uh, Sam, you want to talk a little bit about him? Yeah, uh, one of my professors from college, who he actually. I was in his first ever college class. Um, he was a family practitioner for his whole career. 
um, outdoorsman, and was always interested in, in conservation and the outdoors and its relationship to health. So his first ever class after he retired from medicine was a health in the environment course, and I loved it. And um, we've been buddies ever since. He's um, kind of put me on this path in a lot of ways in terms of molding where I was going to end up and my career choices and, and things like that. So would you call him a, a mentor? He's a mentor, yeah. yeah. He's definitely a mentor for me and um, really interesting and nice guy. And uh, His name's Dr. John Simmons, so he'll come we're, on we're uh, in February. To, looking forward to that. We've also got a couple more that aren't scheduled yet. But um, mentors of folks here at the office and uh, just big-time leaders in conservation that we are looking to have on, as well as a couple of uh, folks that are the authority on the subjects we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. So anyways, look forward to that. But for today, you're not getting that. (laughs) It's just us. Just getting the boys. Just the boys, as as we've been referred to here in the office before. You want to tell that story about how that happened to begin with? Yeah, we. Uh, oh gosh, have we ever told this? I don't know if we have or not, but it. Uh, we went to. I don't think so many of you. I don't think we have either. <laughs> many of uh, many of you probably have heard of or been to Riverdance. Uh, if you have not, it is our biggest fundraiser of the year. It's here in Salisbury, um, right by our office, and usually about three hundred people come and um, live music or. Um, DJs, whatever it is, music, great food, um, beautiful. Yeah, we'll day. sell that to you. In, yeah, in coming up before August, we'll be. Selling but that another to you. part of that is there's an open bar, um, yeah. so that we we have to stock it. Yeah, Cody and I got tasked with going and picking up. A lot of the beer gets donated by our buddies at New Serum and Cabarrus Brewing and uh, different places like and that. The, uh, the um, Pepsi vendor here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, United Beverage. United Beverage. And yep. then Cheerwine. Um, what's the vineyard? Morgan, Morgan Ridge. Ridge. Yep. Morgan Ridge does as well. Um, but then people like those domestics too. So we we got tasked with going and getting some beers um, from the local. Do we, do we even want to say the name of the? I don't have a problem with it. It was a it was a Harris Teeter here in town. Yeah. And uh, we. Uh, so we were picking up cases, and not just like a couple. Like 20. Like, yeah, yeah two grocery carts full. Because <laughs> yeah. this, this is enough to do, you know. The for folks, 300 people. I for mean. 300 people, of those 300 that drink, you don't want to be running out because those are the ones that are spending the money. And, you know, you get a little, get a few beers in you, and you're going to spend more money. Yeah. And that's what we want. I mean, we, yeah. we're looking to have, have a good time and make sure everybody's spending money and supporting conservation. So anyways, long story short, we're in the checkout line with all this this product, and the the lady checking us out, um, of course, you know, checks our IDs, and then she says, "I can't sell you this quantity of alcohol," and I don't know anything about buying this quantity of alcohol. I've never done it, um, but we're we're like we showed her our credentials that we worked for a nonprofit. We had the yeah. transport license. We were one hundred percent legit. We're like, this is going to a Nonprofit fundraising event. Yeah. Here is the transport license. Here's our IDs. You know, we're good. We're good to go. We've we've got everything we need. And she says, "Well, I don't believe you, young boys." 
Or she says or something, something like, I'm not selling it to you. I'm not selling beers to you, young boys. And, this many beers to and you, young there boys. Were, there was a line forming in behind us because, of course, it's the only register open. And <laughs> there's a couple of older gentlemen behind us. They're like, just sell it to them. My God. He's <laughs> they're like, like, I'll buy a card. Yeah, they're like, they're like, hey, give us one of those cards. We'll pay for it. <laughs> he just reimburses in the parking lot. And Sam and I are both like, nah, I don't know about that. And so, anyways, we wound up just taking it back and and not even some of it back not even dealing with it but uh we got called young boys and i'm not that young anymore and sam's not that young anymore either like as far as you know something like that goes and uh that that was two years ago so i was probably 24 and you were what 28 28. that's 28 so um you may look at Cody and not think he's. Yeah, you, know, you can think look he at, might. You, I, I certainly look forty. Yeah, uh, I mean, but I, I can see how I could be called a young boy. But yeah, that rubbed you. Uh, you may have you been back since. I haven't went there one time since then, <laughs> and I won't. I won't go back. Um, you don't insult your customer. The customer's always right. I mean, that's like day one stuff. Um, so anyway, so that's and the, I didn't even the thing is, is it wasn't even for me. Like that's what really yeah. made me mad about it. But. Yeah. We got called young boys, so That's we came the back. Of the young we boys. came back yeah. and told that story um, of why we failed at our task to go pick up the amount we were told to pick up. Explain that to the boss, and uh, so we've been referred to as the young boys ever since. <laughs> so, anyways, that's where that came from. I, I was not planning on telling that story this morning, uh, but whatever. Let's uh, let's move on down the the line and talk about the hearing last week, the public hearing. Um, yeah. So we mentioned last week about the Wildlife Resources Commission's regulation hearings that happen every January, one in each district across the state, and the importance of that and why you should be a part of it. Um, Sam got to experience his first one, and uh, I, of course, went as usual. And uh, what did you think about it overall, Sam? Um, I don't know. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I thought it was, um, gosh, I want to be careful here. It was entertaining. It was, um, some, some parts were informative, other parts were the opposite of that, and just like complete and utter nonsense. Did um, you feel as though when the professionals were speaking as in wrc representatives i think you were being informed i think the wrc representatives were extremely respectful and they were um there to listen and not argue and they were all taking notes and were helpful and there to listen and i think that was i think that was very um admirable and I, I definitely appreciated that. It's hard I know, to do when you're sitting on that side of the table. Yeah, and I know because mm-hmm. I know that there's probably sometimes when they wanted to speak up and be like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" Right. Um, but they didn't do that, and they were they kept their cool and um, said thank you, and I thought that was you know yeah, they, do they a, were good they, do a good they were good civil uh, civil servants and uh, represented the WRC well. I think. I think so too. I think they always do, um, and it's. Certain members of the public, it's easy to understand when you're having a hearing about things that people are passionate about, how emotions are going to kind of drive those meetings. And certain members of the public get more emotional than other members debating the topics at hand. And this particular hearing had some 
some contentious topics for the for the district. Um, one being um, the regulation involving removing the allowance of hunting big game with dogs on a certain game land. Um, and in that area, it has been a traditional use there. Mm-hmm. Um, several factors driving it, the main one being surrounding landowners have experienced quite a bit of conflict with public land users um, using dogs. You running know? deer. Yeah, running deer with dogs. Um, and the regulation states deer and bear, but there, uh, there are little to no bear in that area. So it's, it's about deer. Um, you know, personally, I have an opinion on it, and I won't... Let's I won't you know, I want you to give your... I'm not going to say my personal opinion, but I'm going to lay out reasons for both sides. Okay, can I, can I, start, can I start here? Sure. The, um, the representatives for the dog hunters at the hearing, I feel like did a just not, not a good job. They should have hired an attorney. Um... <laughs> Did a, did a just poor poor job. Some of them did. Some did. Some did well. Like the first guy that got up there and he said, you know, I want to yeah, work together. And that, I don't think we need to and give that's up a good club. Yeah, and I don't think we need to give up any rights as hunters, and we need to work together mm-hmm. and um, and and come to a compromise internally, so we're not fighting amongst ourselves, and we can focus on the important thing is, which is we all like the resource and care for the resource and want to participate in these um, traditions together and uh, cooperate um, so that was that was a good start mm-hmm. and then as a few landowners got up and spoke about their um, grief with the dog hunters and conflicts that had arisen then it fired up people on the dog hunter size to kind of retort or, or on the dog hunter side to kind of come back and retort and mm-hmm. Um, that's when it got a little bit squirrely. It went a little downhill from there. Yeah. Um, it was comedic to sit back and watch it, um, but as a vested interest in the topic, you know, it was kind of saddening to see that one side had such a compelling argument and the other side did not um, that particular night. And keep in mind, this was just a public hearing, so no decisions were made, and no decisions will be made until the commissioners go back and evaluate all the comments and then make a decision. Um, this yeah, was just but I the, mean, like, the comment stage. But I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but there was a lady that got up, <laughs> and she comes down there and gives out a just poorly thought-out argument for dog hunting while wearing a doing-it-doggy-style sweatshirt hoodie. Yeah, I, I've had multiple conversations about this since that happened, and... Uh, my, I would not have done that when I was in high school and a, and a stupid teenager. I would have known better than to wear that to a public meeting. And this is something we talked. We talked on the phone after the hearing, and talked about self representation, and how like I've gotten a couple speeding tickets since I moved to North Carolina, and I always self represent. <laughs> Which I think's not that bright of a move, but well, he does it works it anyway. out for me. He does um, it anyway. But I'll go, and like rule number one for self representing, which has worked out well for me, is. I'm going to wear a tie, I'm going to wear a button-down shirt, I'm going to wear khaki pants, and then I'm going to stand out in a crowd of people at the, at the courthouse who maybe aren't dressed like that, and I'll be respectful, say yes sir, yes ma'am, um, have everything that I need, a well-thought-out plan going in, and generally, 
you get about two minutes into that, and they're like, See. We're, we're, yeah, we'll reduce it to the lowest thing that you can get. No points on your um, license. Thank you for coming. See ya. Yeah. So, um, I just it was disheartening to see, like, I, I just can't imagine going in and I representing I, I a cause imagine. that I'm passionate about. Yeah, that's, that's like me. that. And I told, like, when I was in high school, I had some some comedic decals on my vehicle that were similar to that, but not that. And I would have known better. I would have known better even then to go represent myself in such a way, trying to compel an argument and people to be on my side. Exactly. Yeah. I would have known better than to go there acting that way and and dress that way. But so let's I'm going to I'm going to continue. I'm going to lay out what some of the I said kind of what the first uh, proponent for dog hunting said and then a landowner got up and I'll lay out the conflict and then I'll say you I'll let you argue both sides. The first landowner that gets up says, I own a piece of property adjacent to this particular game lands. And every single year on opening day, when I'm trying to hunt and enjoy nature and do what we all like to do, I pretty much go in knowing that I'm going to hear the dogs get released. Mm -hmm. And I just pretty much look at my watch and wait. And then at some point, a deer is going to come screaming by with dogs hot on its tail and they're going to come on my property, and it's a place that I care for, that I manage, that I look forward to utilizing, and every single year I have to go and get down from my stand and round up these dogs because um, yeah. I'm not going to harm somebody else's dogs, and then, the, uh, you know, wait, and the landowner's eventually going to show up and say, no, the, the, or excuse me, the, the dog, dog owner. Yeah, the dog owner's eventually going to show up and say, hey, uh, where's my dogs? And you're going to have, say, you know, they came on my property again and have that confrontation and not get what they think is a sufficient apology. And it's just and, frustrating for them. I would say a lot of things were not said about how it really goes down. Like, I'm sure both parties probably get into a heated argument. Yeah. It probably just ruins everybody's day. Yeah, oh, for sure. So the proposal was that we're just going to stop dog hunting on the public land chasing big game with dogs on public land here in this area to alleviate this conflict for this party and the other parties are going to have to go somewhere else. So, and that's the gist of how all the arguments went. Yeah. Um, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, here's here's what I want to what I want to spell out. Um, first off, there are only 17 states in the entire country that allow chasing big game with dogs less than that that allow chasing deer with dogs and granted it is a it is a historically southern thing and there are lots of reasons for it one reason is is because of the terrain in the south a lot of times it's not conducive for steel hunting or other types of things and that's really where it kind of started you know eastern north carolina swamps and bays I mean, it's just, it's not possible to get in there and get a shot, so you've got to get the deer where you can actually get a shot. So, running deer with dogs is that. But the thing I, I want to point out is, is people seem to think that once you turn a dog on a deer or on a big game animal, that that big game animal is definitely destined for death. That's not the case. Um, they often, and majority of the time, get away. Um, a hound is not a magic 
way to hunt game. I mean, their game is smart, and it gets chased around by predators all the time. And it, they know ways to elude being chased by hounds. And lots of times, you know, that's just not how it goes. It, it doesn't work out in the hunter's favor. But that being said, the thing is, uh, there's a, you've probably heard the term guard the gate. That's referring to, you know, hunting privileges as a whole. Anytime they get chipped away at, that's just one more less privilege that we've gotten. It's one more thing that's taken away. And every time you take one thing away, it opens the gate for something else. Mm. And that's that's kind of what we have to walk a, a very, very fine line on. And as outdoors people, as a group, we argue too much internally. Um, like steel hunters and dog hunters have trouble getting along because it's two conflicting methods of pursuing game. And... You know, it, it shouldn't be that way, but I understand both sides. I understand the side that, yes, this is a Southern tradition. We've been doing it a really long time. Um, it's a hunting privilege that we really don't want to see taken away. There are only 17 states that you can even do this in. Um, and it's a, it's a shame to, you know, maybe turn that into 16 um, eventually. That would be awful. Um, that said, I understand as a landowner how frustrating it is to have a private piece of ground that you have spent time, money, stewarding, and you've, you've got the same days off as everybody else from work, and you're trying to enjoy that, and it gets interrupted by, you know, a dog that can't read a, a no trespassing sign or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, that I can see that. I've, I've been on both sides of that fence, and I, I totally agree with the argument on both sides. That said, thank goodness I'm not the one having to make that decision on you know who's right, who's wrong, what we're going to do here. Mm-hmm. I think there's a uh, there's a compromise out there. I don't know what it is, other than maybe, you know, allow running dogs certain days of the week versus other days it's only allowed for steel hunting. That way, the private landowners can plan to hunt on the days that steel hunting is allowed. Now I know that that's not a great compromise for them because they're like, what's my land? I should be able to hunt at any time and, yeah. and not be interrupted. And I agree, you should be yeah. able to, but kind of got to start somewhere and that's that's a compromise that i've thought about um i don't know if that's who knows what what's going to happen but i'm just glad i'm not the one that makes that decision yeah it's i think going back to your hunting uh, or your proposition in favor of uh dog hunting um you know about the idea of shifting baseline Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of whether it's hunting regulations or you know your personal freedoms or whatever it may be politics and politics in general yeah um, a shifting baseline would be you see something and we have such short-term, relatively, lifespans that what you see um, is so small in the blink of time. And the regulation changes that you see may seem trivial and small, but as they go generation to generation to generation mm-hmm. past your lifetime, you things either keep getting chipped away. Um, so it could be for, like, seeing game as well, you know, whereas you see a population of white-tailed deer um, when you're, you know, a young boy, and then later in your lifetime, you're like, there's less deer than there was. and But it's a small, yep. small amount and a uh, small percentage. It's an 80-year lifespan yeah, exactly. in the term of millennia. Yeah, yep. so that's kind of what your guard-the-gate theory is. It's just yep. kind of like not giving up any rights or trying to being very... I don't even like to call them rights. I like 
to refer to hunting as privileges. privileges. Yeah, not giving oh. up any privileges because, you know, they're just going to continue getting chipped away over right. time. Right, and that's that's exactly what I was getting at by mm-hmm. that guard the gate thing. And, and I don't think that I think it's a lot bigger than just one region or one spot where there's an issue. I think it's it's way it's statewide, if not nationwide, an issue. Um, so yeah. You know, decision makers are gonna they're gonna deliberate on this and come up with the best solution. But you know, just sitting on the outside looking in, my thought is is we we should definitely carefully consider what's happening and be sure that we we guard the gate for the future and that shifting baseline, just like yeah. you were talking about. That's that's imperative. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I'm not gonna get into it a whole lot more than there's no side that I'm gonna take on this podcast other than. I'll be thinking about the decision makers and, and, you know, I hate that they're having to make that decision. Yeah, and I think, you know, anybody who can think critically can see that there's true grievances on both sides and there's points and and, um, value to what each group said, um, no matter how it was articulated or how well it was articulated. But um, Yeah, Yeah, they got to look past the representatives that were there for each side and look at the, the underlying issue and not just the individuals and how they represented themselves. Yeah. Um, for both sides, because both sides could have done a better job representing mm-hmm. themselves and had better points and, mm-hmm. and researched it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just got to look at the issue and be like, well, how's it going to affect the future of our privileges? Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And that's that's where that's where it's going to go, and that's what they're going to do. I think. Um, I'm not I'm not involved in that process anymore. I'm glad I'm not. Yeah, so, but I think. Um, other the big the big takeaway for me was the WRC representatives were were there. They were out in force. There was a lot of them there. They showed that they cared. Um, didn't dismiss anybody. Yeah, didn't and, treat a single person as if they were dumb. Yeah, you know? and um, you know people were talking at them in a lot of cases. A lot of cases, and, and that's um, hard to listen to. And and I think like they did a very fair job of taking it. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, the other issues that there that came up at that hearing and hearings that are going on um, was the issue of CWD and, and new regulation involving urine-based scents, which um, can carry the prions um, for CWD and potentially transmit that to wild deer. Um, they're looking to outlaw the use of urine-based scents and Naturals, body, body right. fluids. Yep, um, they're going to only synthetic is going to be allowed now, which is completely great. And I was concerned that there may be some contention going into that, but there was not. So that tells me that the hunters and sportsmen and women are very well educated on CWD, um, at least in knowing the potential harm it could cause. And everybody's looking to come up with a way to fix it. Yeah, and that's one of those. That's one of those things where. Um, last episode we were talking about decisions that were being made, some that were basically mitigating human conflict, and then others that were science-based. And I think the reason that that one went smoothly was it was a science-based decision, and um, though it is technically, you're, that's a loss of a privilege. Um, yeah, well, I would, you know. Kind, I mean, if you're thinking about it in a large scale, it kind of is. But there's a reason that it was. There's yep. a reason that that privilege was being taken away. That was for the health of the overall herd yep. and, and I for think everybody, safety. Everybody's going to get behind. Yeah, that. and everybody. No matter what the. Yeah. If it was a different issue, if it was for the 
the overall health of the wildlife, people are going to back that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, you're right. That, but if like the whole conflict was um, people that were going into Walmart being sick of walking past, smelling the smelling, deer smelling the deer aisle, and that was the reason they were doing that rule change, then I think it probably would have been contentious. Because, yeah. but because it was a biological uh, concern, and that's why they made that call. It really the the hunters showed that they were and an educated good, good group. Good play on bringing that up, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, I'm I'm so glad they're they're being proactive, and and going ahead and getting rid of that that as you called it a privilege. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So other topics were were mostly uh, you know all agreed upon, no comments really. Um, there was a lot of discussion afterward, you know, just when it's the floor is open for whatever topic folks want to bring up there's a lot of discussion there that i'm not going to get into because a lot of it was things that the wildlife resources commission has no control over um these regulations are regulations they do have control over like we said last episode there's a lot that comes straight from legislature and in that case you're just wasting your breath by saying saying words so um that didn't happen uh so anyways it was a informative hearing um Sam and Steely slid out early, and then I slid out not long after that. Cause what did you say when I left early? No, I didn't say it. Um, my buddy looked over and said, uh, first-timers just couldn't handle it. <laughs> when I walked out. Mm-hmm, yeah. Which I thought was very funny. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was funny, because you guys, you guys left before it even got to the few things I really wanted to hear. But um, <laughs> it was uh, it's a good thing to go to. I'd had plenty. If you're, uh, if you're interested in policy and law, with wildlife, then you should definitely be involved in coming. I made it. I made it a little bit longer than Travis did. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> he, he got, but he got there before we. Yeah, did he too. did. He was um, shaking he got, hands. He and, got there and, and had some other topics to talk about with folks yeah. beforehand. So I was I was fairly late coming in as well. I I had uh, had some home duties to take care of first. And Travis Travis out there looked like the welcoming committee standing with all the WRC. Oh, yeah. Did he? Oh, yeah. I didn't even see him the whole the whole night there. I will say this. I'm proud um, that we were we were so well represented there um, as an organization. I think that shows that we care um, and are taking time. This is not like we're getting paid or anything. We're just going Yeah, I'm out. really concerned about, you know, natural resource groups that aren't at that hearing. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't be there. Yeah, we had four employees there. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine being a, affiliated with a natural resources group and not being a, you know, at least a stakeholder. Sure. In my wildlife, my state's wildlife resources. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I'm glad. I'm. I agree. I'm glad we were there, and we'll continue to go to those things. Um, let's move on, man. It was. Uh, that was just kind of an overview of the uh, the public here. And yeah, if you missed it or something, at least that kind of gives you some of the summary. points. That was the summary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, form your own opinion from there. But anyways, what uh, Sam's pointing to something. Oh, yeah, this is good. So I watched it. If you don't know, if you don't know anything about me, you've probably gathered from this show alone a few things. I can be kind of hateful, and I like movies a whole bunch. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm a huge movie cinema fan, all kind, of, and I like every genre. Like I love every kind of movie, um, and I love watching movies. And I, I I caught one this weekend that is old. It came out in I think '02, um, 
called Catch Me If You Can. And if you've never seen this movie, I couldn't recommend it more. This, uh, and Sam's never seen it. You've never seen it, right? No, so I was hoping that you'd give like a little bit of a, just a teaser without giving, giving you giving anything end. away, but give me a I'm going to have to give a little away, but it's a, based on a true story. And if there's a book, if somebody knows of a book out there or autobiography about this fella, Frank Abengale, I would, uh, I would love to read it. Um, not condoning what he did, but it was absolutely amazing. This, uh, so this young man at age 16 ran away from home. His parents were getting divorced. His dad was a, uh, kind of a con man and, uh, had, uh, kind of taught him the ropes a little bit of being a con man. And his dad was in a little bit of trouble with the IRS to begin with. But, uh, Frank Abengale Jr. runs away from home trying to figure out ways to make money and starts um, first starts off kind of forging checks and being a you know a fraudulent check writer and he's getting away with that and then he gets better at it and then he he's in the movie he's walking down the street one day and sees a uh, airline pilot getting out of a uh, getting out of a cab with a whole bunch of flight attendants and like everybody's like all the public like really respects this fella and they're all coming up to him shaking his hand and you know little kids are asking for his autograph because he's a real live airline pilot you know he's got on his whole get up and uh frank jr gets this uh the wheels start turning he's like man i want to be an airline pilot he's this kid's 16 but he looks a little older than that and leo dicaprio plays him in the movie oh Oh, yeah and so you know it's gonna be good (laughs) but Anyways, and then Tom Hanks plays the FBI investigator that's trying to catch him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's top-tier role. Top-notch. Oh, yeah. But um, anyways, he becomes, he goes and buys himself. He What he does, he calls the airline company posing as a co-pilot and says that the cleaner lost his flight suit or his, you know, his uniform. And uh, so they're like, oh, that's no problem. Happens all the time. Go to X location. They'll have one waiting on you. So he goes there and, and picks up a daggone airline pilot suit for you know for nothing. They bill it to the airline. Yeah. So then he's got himself a suit. So then he forges some credentials. He like steals somebody's ID and puts his picture on it and forges his stuff. And then you know he just walks into the airport and they assume he's somebody that's hitching a ride on a deadhead, like not flying the plane, but just like riding to get to another airline airport to take off and fly his own plane. And so he's like went and interviewed as a high school student, posing as a high school student, interviewed the head of this airline company and got all this information on lingo and how pilots talk to each other and what things mean and what pilots make and all all this. So he's got all this knowledge. He's memorized. So he's able to have a conversation with these pilots. He's riding up front in the cockpit, 16 years old, yeah. no pilot license. Yeah. And they think he's a pilot. And he's like, and then he does it and flies all over the world, does it for over two years. Did you get on the payroll? Oh, he's on the payroll. He's on the payroll forging forging checks. Forging checks from the airline pay stubs to himself and cashing them at the airline. And I think he racks up, I don't know how many million dollars doing this. And uh, then the FBI is starting to get, get on to him. And they're calling, I forget what the, they called him some kind of the flight bandit or something like that. And they had no idea who he was or anything. Didn't Had definitely no idea he was a kid. They almost catch him once, 
and he tells the Tom Hanks, who's playing the FBI guy who catches him in his hotel room, he pretends that he's a CIA agent and the guy they're after has already gotten away and gets away from him. Tricks Tom Hanks, the FBI guy. And, oh, it's it goes on. He becomes a doctor in a hospital, a, a general practitioner at a hospital overseeing the ER at, like, 17. <laughs> um, marries, a, he's going to marry a nurse. Her dad's a lawyer. He becomes a lawyer, like, falsifies all these documents. To be, that he graduated from Berkeley with a law degree, Harvard with a medical degree. Oh, my God. Um, he's a lawyer. Goes to Louisiana, passes the bar exam, and becomes a lawyer. And it practices law for a little bit. And then they're on to him there, and so he has to ditch that. It, it, dude, it goes on and on. It's unreal. You would not believe it. And it was a true story. And so then, can I tell you the end? No. Okay. Well, it all works out for him. Let's just say that. I like that. It all works out for him. Unreal story. I, and that's got nothing to do with conservation. Did you know did you know anything about it going never into Never heard it? of it before. I just watched I just clicked on the movie because I saw it had Leo and Tom Hanks. I was like, Oh, it can't be bad. And uh it's on I think it's on Netflix. What right a now. pleasant surprise. Um yeah, it was just oh it was I, I wanna read it. If there's a book on this fella, I've got to read it. It was absolutely mind boggling. Speaking of books, um <clears throat> Our coworker Brian brought us in some Christmas presents. That I don't did. know what this says about us, <laughs> but I got a book called Hunters of the Great North. Um, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Vil, uh, Viljamore Stephenson. Viljamore? I would say the Vilhamor? J. Viljamore? Yeah, I think it has an H yeah. sound. Viljamore yep. Stephenson. Yeah. Um, we'll just call him Stephenson. Stephenson. And you got. Yeah. yeah. Got you a little uh, whiskey or something. Right? I got a, uh, a bottle of whiskey. Uh, fairly top shelf bottle of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I will which I will keep on my shelf. But that that being said, this book uh, is something I, we haven't even talked about it at all yet. Um, <clears throat> but it's such an incredible story so far. Um, and... There's just a few things that I picked up, kind of doing a little research as I'm reading it along, and I was looking up different things, and uh, I guess I'm going to hit you with a little trivia. Do it. Um, see, if I, see how good I am. So there was two pretty massive lakes in Canada um, that he was talking about crossing as he was heading to go meet the Eskimo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of led me on, when they were talking about these lakes, of what are the largest lakes in the in the world, do in you have the, any in the world? In the world, yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Man-made or natural? Both. Both. Um, I always assumed it was uh, part of the Great Lakes chain, yeah, Lake Superior, sure. and mm-hmm. Lake uh, yeah, Lake Superior. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So the Great Lakes are definitely up there, and there's like of the top ten lakes. Tons of them are right here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, Superior is number is number two. Caspian Sea is Caspian Sea. It's uh, alkaline, but it's um, or excuse me, it's uh, saline, but yeah. it's um, considered a lake. Victoria in Africa is number three. I would have I would have said Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Huron and Michigan. So Great Lakes chain. Um, but then Great Bear Lake. And Great Slave Lake are uh, Slave Lake are eight and ten, and they're both in Canada. And I had no idea. Like my my geography 
uh, when it comes to Canada is just total. Yes, because it's, it's terrible. Because it's, it's Canada. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's just these massive, amazing lakes. So then that kind of led me down. Number seven is one that I got deep a deep dive into. Lake Baikal in Russia. Hmm. So it's number seven. It's the seventh biggest lake in terms of size on planet Earth. But it holds 23% of the world's fresh water. Surface fresh water. Really? It is a mile deep. And is wow. su- su- Like, imagine all the big rivers running just through America alone, all the massive lakes. That's 5,280 feet deep. Yeah. And it's the seventh biggest lake in the world. It is... It holds 23% of the world's fresh surface How water. How deep is the Mariana Trench? We'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll look I'm it up next. But isn't that that was amazing to me? I could not believe that. Yeah, that um, is unreal. The next thing was, it led me on because he starts talking about Canada and the vastness of of Canada. Um, Canada is the second biggest nation in the world. Did you know that? I did know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I just our neighbors to the north have a pretty amazing, um, just history. And I was fascinated by that. But Lake Baikal really... Um, so Mariana Trench is 36,201 feet, which is about seven miles deep. Um, so it, That's terrifying. To have, well, to have a lake that's a mile deep, that's a seventh of the Mariana Trench. That's unreal. Yeah. That's scary. I don't want to be in a... I don't want to be in a mile deep of water. What do you think's down there? Uh, nothing I want to know about. Yeah. Nothing I care to know about. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're bringing that up. You know the song um, by, uh, gosh, now Val's going to kill me that I forgot the name because he's from Michigan, where she's from. Oh, my goodness. But the song's called the Edmund, Fit- Edmund Fitzgerald about the ship that sank in Lake Superior. Gosh, what is his name? Flash Gordon. Uh-huh, yeah. You know that song? I don't know why I brought that up, but it just you were talking about lakes and it reminded me of that song. And I've got that kind of Scotch-Irish song going through my yeah. head going through my head right now <laughs> um, but pretty amazing but his story Stephenson was in that kind of boon era a little bit of those people pushing west 17 he was a little after Boone he was in the early 1800s okay um, on the on the very front of the frontier in the Dakotas um, actually coming out of Canada first. But just that lifestyle in general, I can't wait to talk with Sim, who's the um, Boone enthusiast and our, our friend, because it's such a fascinating time period. It's so, in terms of time, it's so close to us. Yes, um, we're it a is, young country. We are, we are so, we are not very far separated from these icons that we kind of look back on and admire um, and look at their lifestyle. And we're like, we can't, I can't believe that they lived like that. And it was, you know... You look at your great grandparents; it was two and a half, three of their lifetimes, and that person was walking around. Yeah, I mean, my my granddad's lifetime overlapped with Wyatt Earp, which I like to I like to I like to throw that out all yeah. the time. You know, he was he was my granddad was born and alive before Wyatt Earp died, yeah. um, which is kind of cool. It's so cool. Um, yeah, so and so I mean, you know, it's like a there, it's the eight mid early eighteen hundreds. And he's going out there and um, having first interactions with native tribes and um, walking four miles to school as an eight-year-old boy and hunting, you know, hunting every day. 
and taking care of the horses and as a as a boy you know yeah it's just pretty unbelievable as it talks about you know and then goes goes from this old school house where he's walking to school every day and ends up at Harvard uh, it's just like it's so different things have changed so much um, and it's really I don't know. You can get a little anachronistic. What's the name of that book? It's called The Hunters of the Great North. I'm only halfway done, um, but I got it on, like, Friday. So I did a lot of reading this weekend. Sounds like you were in it. You're oh, I'm in it. All it. Weekend. Oh, I'm way into it. So well, there's a there's an interesting read for folks. Yeah. And he has Life of the Eskimo, too. But, um, yeah, there's a there's a book recommendation. I'm really enjoying it so far. It's uh, American and Canadian history. And um, for an outdoors person, you'll you'll like it. Sure. There's one other thing that he was talking about, and this might bring in some, before I get on to my next story. He was talking about going, the further north he pushed, how hot it got. Um, and he was saying it was 103 degrees when they're going down this river channel. But the one thing that they keep talking about, he keeps talking about on this journey to go meet, have basically first contact with this Eskimo tribe, was the mosquitoes. Yeah, um, and yeah. he uh, he read this quote from an explorer that had gone, I guess, right before him, where they were talking about his test was he had a mosquito gauge, which would be he would take his glove off, and he would hold it for five seconds as they moved closer to the Arctic Circle, and the closer he got, like his first time he removed it when he's basically crossing the America United States Canadian border, it would be like five mosquitoes on his hand. Mm-hmm. Then he gets further towards the Arctic, takes it off, and it goes to 20. Gets further down. Once he reaches the Arctic in the summertime, he would have to take his glove off, hold it there for five seconds. On the back of his hand, he counted the mosquitoes on the back of his hand, only one side, and would slap the back of his hand and kill as many mosquitoes as he could and then would count them. That's how he did Mm -hmm. it. And he said at the very end, it was 120 Mosquitoes after five seconds of exposing the back of his hand. That's, that is unreal to think about. But 120 mosquitoes. Think about this. You know, now we've got a bunch of introduced exotic mosquito species that were not here then. So just think about what, you know, do we have more or less? I wonder. That's unreal. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think definitely we definitely more. have less because, I mean, you had when, like, DDT and things like that were happening, and there was, like, a mass extermination of mosquitoes, and, you know, you had to see the images of the kids riding their bikes behind the trucks. Oh, do they still, they still do mosquito oh, fog. for sure. It's still a thing. Yeah, oh. Maybe not here, but it's definitely still a thing. In Montana, they still did it. Um, but before I move on to the next thing, I everybody's got mosquito stories, but I know working as an alligator biologist and things like that, you probably have some horrific... Not nearly as bad as it was when I lived in Montana. Montana was terrible? Some days it was absolutely to the point where you didn't want to go outside. What'd you do? Sucked it up. Yeah. Got bit. Used a lot of DEET. Yeah. A lot of DEET. Um, Louisiana had, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of mosquitoes in Louisiana, but Montana was worse. And the biting flies, those uh, yellow flies, mm-hmm. awful. I uh, I have one just real vivid memory. It was right after a hurricane. This is only a few years ago. And uh, my buddy invited me to go hunting down at the coast of South Carolina, King Street. And I went down there. And um, just all those pools of water right there in the early, I was bow hunting, so it was September. It was just horrific. 
and it's the probably the only time that I've ever considered. I got up into the stand and I was walking through the woods, and it was just like a cloud behind mm-hmm. me. And I got up into the stand and sat there for about two minutes, had my thermocell. Pass and I was like, I was about to get down. I was like, if yeah. this thermocell cell doesn't start kicking in, I can't sit here. There's yep. no way. Yep. Um, I've been in that situation before. It was it was 85 degrees, and I was wearing like a Carhartt jacket and two layers, and I could mm-hmm. still feel bugs biting me through my, yep. you know, anywhere they could get. See, those are those invasive mosquitoes, man. Those are the ones from Asia. I forget what their what their scientific name is, but they're bad news. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> bad when they bite through Carhartt. That's bad news. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's bad news. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about them anymore. They're so gross. Mosquitoes oh. are awful. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on was I did a hunt. I went duck hunting this weekend. Didn't kill any ducks. But I shot a woodcock <laughs> after our trip. I'm on that bug now. And then the other thing that happened was I go in there hoping to bag some ducks. And I get a woodcock and I find a boat. That's what we're. That, this is Dude, the meat. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> so you've had you've had the salad, appetizer. Get ready for that steak. So yeah, I'm walking down a creek bed that's on the property line, and coincidentally, my buddy's boat who leaves his boat down there, um, so that when we don't have to drag my boat down when we only get on this big water and go across. Um, his got stolen three weeks ago, so. We were just talking about, like, what are we going to do? You know, we don't have the boat down there. I have to drag my boat down and all this stuff. And <clears throat> I just happened to be walking down this creek bed, and lo and behold, asking you shall receive, there's this boat flipped upside down in the middle of the creek up on a log jam. And I, uh, I go over there and check it out, flip it over, hop in it, do a little float. And it's seaworthy, man. Seaworthy vessel. <laughs> yeah. Seaworthy yeah, it's vessel. A, it's seen better days, but it's all right. Little Coleman is probably 13 and a half feet long. It's, I mean, pretty sweet ride. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I asked you when you told me about it initially. I was like, is it an upgrade? I or, wouldn't call it an upgrade. About the same. And Sam said, well, if I were grading boats, I would grade this one and mine at a D minus. <laughs> 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 So. so they're both D minus boats, but they both float and get me from point A to point B. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about some fines. Oh, so speaking of finding, just boats. talking about just big time out in the outdoors and just getting something that you're like, I've oh got yeah. Two extremely memorable finds of human things, um, and both happened with the same best buddy from high school. The first one was we were squirrel hunting in January. Yeah, January. There was snow on the ground. I, I remember this vividly. It was very cold. And just like you, walking down this creek, creek's frozen. And I see sticking up out from underneath this cut bank and through the ice, the nose of a fiberglass canoe. And I was like, and it's well in the center of his property. And I'm like, hey, man. Is that your canoe? And he said, nah, man, that I, don't, I don't own a canoe. And so we get over there, and we're kind of investigating this thing, you know, trying to poke the ice with a stick or whatever. And ice won't break. It's thick. And uh, it's a pretty good-looking canoe from what we can tell. It looks like it's in decent shape. And we both agreed that we needed to get this canoe out. And so I'm hanging off of a root ball 
leaning over trying to unlodge it from underneath this bank where it's kind of wedged up under there and the root ball snaps and gives way so i go in the creek head first through the ice all the way and it's you ever seen those movies like sam and i were talking about this the other day like we thought a whole lot of things were going to affect us in life from watching tv as a kid quicksand <laughs> um dinosaurs you know going through ice lava. icy lava Sam said lava was one he was concerned about growing up. I was always concerned about falling through ice somewhere. That and still being, concerns me. being wedged underneath it. Well, this was as close as it ever came to that. I mean, I went through half-inch thick ice head first and re- remember vividly looking up through ice. Because it was a fairly deep hole. It was probably five and a half feet deep. So my feet didn't initially touch bottom. Mm-hmm. Come back up you know, gasp for air. Luckily, you know, was able to easily break through the ice. And so my buddy, as I come back up and I'm gasping for air, he is rolling on the bank, yeah, laughing. Oh, for sure. Not rolling to try to hurry up and help me out. Yeah. He is on the ground laughing. Yeah. Tears coming out of his eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm furious. I'm I'm extremely mad. Maddest I've ever been at him, ever. And uh He's like, well, while you're in there, go ahead and get that boat out. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I got the canoe out, and I was borderline hyperthermic. Um, we uh, built a fire. I went up stripping down and trying to get dry, and his truck was parked way downstream, and just below that slow hole was a really long riffle run where it hadn't frozen yet. So I was able to take a stick and float the canoe in my underwear down to the truck yes, sir. and get it out. But he still got, he still owns that canoe. He really? still got it. Oh yeah, it was a good canoe. Still got it. So that was, that was my first big find. Tell one of yours and I'll tell I'm my glad last you, one. <laughs> before I tell another, I'm glad you touched on the things that we thought were going to affect us. Oh we're yeah. Sitting, we're sitting there duck hunting, like not seeing any ducks. And we're just sitting back talking about like, gosh, sure didn't think I was going to experience a lot of, like a lot of quicksand. When I was kidding, we're talking about space a whole lot. Like, <laughs> sure didn't think I had a lot more. I would have a lot more to do with space than I, than I did. Without, and we're talking about outer space. Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe that I like haven't at this point in my lifetime had to hop from rock to rock through like a lava field, <laughs> <laughs> or like have to avoid quicksand, poke it with a stick, and make sure it's good. Yeah, like hanging from a tree branch, like my bottom half. And I don't know. It's like cartoons and things. Really. <laughs> really talk a lot about quicksand and lava for some <laughs> and ice i don't know i was just i was always worried about ice 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 scares me um just because i when i lived in colorado i did a lot of fishing on like the colorado river and other big rivers out there um in the winter time you know i was working at a ski resort i was working at vale and i didn't want to ski in my off time i was going out and fishing and um, I would go find these open holes, but to get to them, you had to walk out on this ice a little bit. Yeah. And that was always a really, really just scary thing for me would be like ice given and, you know, mm. with a really heavy current river like that. That's so terrifying. Oh, it's just like, that's the absolute, um, it's the worst way to go. Yeah. Oh, it'd be terrible. So um, I was really careful about that. And so that's one that legitimately still, I think that, one, do that any, one holds true. You ever do any ice fishing? No. I got into that a little bit when I was in Montana, and I was real skeptical of ice fishing. Like, dudes driving their pickups 
out on the lake. Yeah. Drive. I know what the lake looks like in the summertime. Yeah. Driving a full size truck out there, putting up a little tent with a hole in the floor, and, and so you're telling me we're gonna jigging. drill a hole? Oh, we did in this ice. And I was, and while I was, I'm standing on it, when I first did it, I was like, I don't know about this, guys. They're like, oh, we do it all the time, and we pull up, and there's you know thirty trucks, thirty trucks on the ice, and they're like, oh yeah, just drive right out there. I was like, I'm not driving my truck out there, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, and they were telling me like every year, you know, somebody's truck goes through the ice, and you know, you got to wait till springtime to get it out. I'm just I'm thinking this is an awful idea, but you know we never had any issues, and ice fishing was very fun. Um, I didn't like, I didn't like just sitting there over the hole, ice fishing like jigging a ice fishing rod. I didn't like that. What I liked was fishing tip ups, drilling a whole bunch of holes and putting these little, you know, flags with a line attached to them yeah. on the fish bites that they flip it's up. It's kind of like catfishing. Yeah, it's like you know it's like trapping. Yeah, I liked that, and I liked sitting and spearing over, you know, over sitting over a hole looking down. And when the fish, you got a little decoy bait in there. And when the fish comes in, the pike comes into the hole, you drop this spear on him. That was kind of fun. God, um, that's awesome. But, yeah, I was still... Sitting there with a fire on the ice? Oh, yeah. They, they would bring burn barrels out there and build fire. <laughs> you know, goes against everything that yeah. physics says is, shouldn't happen. Yeah. So, I'm not a lifelong ice fisherman. I don't, I don't know that I'll be doing any more ice fishing. But I did a little bit. And I was always nervous about it. <laughs> yeah. Always nervous. If you did, I, I didn't grow up around ice fishing. That's not. We don't do that in the south. Oh, fines. Let's see. I um. I have a vivid memory of going out into this duck hole, and I don't know. Especially when I was younger, I guess I'm kind of mellowing out now. But I was. If I wasn't shooting ducks, I was going to go find the ducks. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go into the thickest part of the button bush and slip in there and see if I can slip in and jump some and get close enough to get a shot. Uh, I remember rounding this corner around these button bush, and there's four ducks sitting on the water, wood ducks. And I pull up and boom and shoot one and just blow this decoy all to hell. But I got three, like, what looked to be brand-new wood duck decoys that were still on a carabiner. Oh, um, that's a good And they fire. had floated downstream, so... Um, Three decoys is a pretty good haul for one trip. Yeah, I found lots of decoys, washed away decoys. My biggest, probably the biggest find ever and worst find ever, all in one for me. Same guy, canoe guy, same buddy. We were, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon during, uh, I guess it was still archery season, um, bow season, it was, you know, October. And uh, we were going to go hang stands for the upcoming week. Um, on a deer lease that I had, my dad had, and uh, I was I was 16, he was uh, 17 or 18, and pull in and go through the gate, and I noticed the gate was kind of hooked funny when I unhooked it, not the way I usually hooked it, and um, drive around to the back of the woods there, and there's a uh, there's a car pulled into the edge of the woods. Um, a Crown Vic pulled in the edge of the woods and the driver doors open, passenger doors open, trunks open. And my first thought was somebody's in here hunting on our lease. This is my, my first, very first thing I thought. And uh, me and my buddy, you know, hop out of the truck and, and walk over there and, 
instantly can tell that the car's been there a few days because there are leaves that have fallen out of the trees because it's October, leaves are falling. There are leaves that are have fallen and they're in the trunk, in the floorboard, but the keys are in the ignition and the ignition's still dinging, like ding, 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 you know, like when you got your door open. Mm. And uh, so it was weird. And uh, so we're kind of just looking around. There ain't nobody around. And we're kind of looking at the car and there's some you know, miscellaneous crap in the back, in the trunk, and and uh, my buddy, you know, being the teenagers that we were, he's like, you know, finders keepers, right? He's like, I sure would like to have a Crown Vic Derby car. And I looked at him, I was like, that's a pretty good idea. I'd like to have a Crown Vic Derby car, too, because in our home county, there's a big demolition derby every year. <laughs> and we were always, like, hoping we could, like, come up with a piece of junk car and this was actually a fairly nice car. And uh, he's like, I wonder if it'll crank. And I was like, I don't know, dude, maybe. He's like, I think we should take it for a spin. Well, as I'm walking around to the passenger side, I notice that there's a flat tire. And I, was, and I tell him this. He's like, well, you know, who cares? Let's see if it'll crank up. So he's already hopped in the driver's seat, okay? I come around to the passenger seat. I'm going to get in because we're stupid. We're you yeah. know, 16 and 17. We're not bright. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on here. I go around to get in the passenger seat and I open the door. Well, the door's open. I'm getting ready to get in and I, I look at my buddy and I say, get out of the car. He's like, what? Um, he's like, I said, get out of the car right now. Don't touch anything else. He said, what's up, dude? He's like, I thought we were going for a spin. And he's already cranked it up. Dude, car's running. Yeah. And uh, I said, look. And in the passenger seat is... A cash register tray the tray that is removable the black tray that sits yeah, inside uh-huh. the cash register that's sitting there and it's got like two or three pennies in it and that's it he's like he said what's that i said dude that's the inside of a cash register and so it took him you know the same it took him just that. a second mm-hmm. and then he you know oh crap yeah. hops out of the car and we're just standing there i think this is all bad this, everything that's just happened is bad 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 yeah you know? We haven't done a thing wrong yeah. other than we've touched this car yeah, in every place that it could be touched. And, you know, growing up watching television shows, you think there are fingerprints on everything. Yeah. And that's how it works. Well, it doesn't really work that way. But um called my dad, and I said, Dad, you know, here's what's going on. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, my God. Did you guys touch it? And I said, yeah, we touched it. What would you touch? Well, we cranked it up. <laughs> He's, you know, my dad's, oh, boys. Boys, boys, boys. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, uh, why don't you just hang tight? Don't touch it anymore. Um, and my cousin was a sheriff's deputy. Called my cousin and, you know, of course, state troopers. And they come out and, you know, they're like, yeah, you guys are idiots. But, you know, thanks for letting us know. You found this car. That obviously knew we didn't. We didn't have anything to do with taking it. It sounds like a good cover-up story for you and your buddy robbing the convenience <laughs> oh, store. Oh, yeah, if we'd have done it. Well, they actually knew who had done it. They'd been looking for this car. Oh, really? They had them on video. The car was stolen. The um, the convenience store they robbed, they had them on video there. It was two people. Um, and uh, they wound up catching them, and they actually returned the car to the rightful owner. So that all worked out good. But the funny thing was, when they were searching the car, um, after this is my cousin telling us this later we'd already left um they found a significant amount of drug remnants in the back seat as uh, you know snow in yeah, the back seat sure. 
and uh you know it was just i was just glad that uh we didn't find it when they were dumping it i guess mm-hmm. more or less but yeah that was a crazy find um i think i told that story about finding that guy that was beat all the crap yeah you told that um, and that one yeah that, that was actually finding, pretty, a, finding a dude pretty uh crazy find one last thing before we shut this down um you came up with a pretty funny idea um that we'll be implementing and keeping y'all up to date with as we move forward into the year. I don't even remember which what is, it is. Oh, we're going to uh, we're going to put a whiteboard here in the office, and it's going to be uh, days since an accident, like you see in a factory or something. Uh-huh. And it's going to have my name and Cody's name on it. And Cody, Cody had this tradition when you worked for the WRC, which was if somebody like didn't lock a, lock a gate or when got, I was yeah when got, I was a team leader uh-huh. with Wildlife Commission, this was my deal. This was how I learned up the new recruits. Yeah, so like if somebody left a gate open or got something stuck, piece of equipment stuck or whatever, they would have to buy lunch. But I think Cody's plan for me is public shaming. So <laughs> uh, no, so. Anytime that I do any sort of mess up on the job or him, yeah, um, it applies for me. Then that means that they are going to go back to zero on the whiteboard in terms of days since an accident, and uh, it'll be and a we running can just update every week on who's got it, more days. Yeah, it'll be a running joke here. Um, I think we're going to need a, a board to vote because um, <laughs> I mean on what's what constitutes a, a an accident. Yeah, so like. For example, we were just clearing out some fire breaks, and I got basically to, to the end of the day just recently and then um, threw the chain on the chainsaw, cutting some um, cedar out of the way. And I don't think that constitutes an accident or mess up. That's just part of, you know, you, you chainsaw all day long. There's, there's a decent chance that you might throw a chain. It uh, just depends on the circumstances of what you're doing and if you're doing it poorly. Um but I don't think that one would constitute. I think, and I told Sam, I was like, I think it depends on the situation. If you depends on Cody's definitely going to lean towards making it sound like I have. A, I didn't say that one was one. I a ton not, of accidents. I agreed with you that that one wasn't because I didn't see it happen. But I don't think you're going to have a ton of accidents. But I think you're going to have more than me. Well, we'll keep you. Uh, we'll keep you posted. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going off of. How many times I've seen you spill a drink lately, or since I've known you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're our resident drink spiller. Do you do that at home? Like, is that? Oh, yeah. is, Are you the? Are you the? Your family's like when y'all go out to eat. Are you like the one? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And they all know it. Like, oh, it's a running you, joke. Yeah. Is it? Is oh, your, yeah. What's your dad say about it? Oh, it's always him. I'm always <laughs> spilling it on him. I don't. I've never spilled a drink. <laughs> I've sure. never spilled a drink on my You're mom. You always spill it on your dad. Yeah. Oh. Never once have I spilled a drink on my mom. But I've knocked. I've knocked f- five drinks into my dad's lap. <laughs> let, me t- <laughs> let me tell you, man. We went. I took my brother and my dad. We went on a on a duck hunt down at the coast. Um, one of them real long, grown out deals like you've experienced this year, where you drive all night and hunt, yeah, and then you drive back home the next day after the hunt, and you're absolutely just exhausted. Well, we were pulling one of those, and we pulled into uh, I think it was Plymouth used to have a Pizza Hut, um, and we're like, let's pull in here and, and get something to eat. And uh, we're pulling in there, and everybody's like half asleep. And my brother dumps a full Mountain Dew <laughs> on my dad. My dad 
or like dumps it. It's like coming to him. But it's in. I guess we're so tired. It was like in slow motion. Yeah. This mountain dude's like raging across the table to it, <laughs> and my dad you know, shoves the table because <laughs> his table hadn't bolted to the floor. Shoves the table and shoves the booth that he's sitting in, and somehow manages to matrix and miss. Yeah. All this mountain dude, and it goes right to the floor, missed it, and it was like. It seemed like it was in slow motion, but he did it in a split second. Yeah. And got none on him, hardly, maybe like a drop. Yeah. On him. <laughs> we laughed about that. Going from dead, like half asleep, to quick reflex and like that. And But it was always in my family, it was always my brother dumping. Mm-hmm. And he even did it a time or two on purpose. Like, oh, did he? Oh, one of his favorite things to do was if you had a styrofoam cup, take a toothpick and Pop your oh, pop, we used to do that. Oh, yeah, we used to do styrofoam that. Styrofoam cup, you know. The boys going out to eat. Oh, yeah. Oh, my brother thought that was just a hoot. Oh, yeah. Thought it was a hoot. Yeah. Well, we, uh, it's definitely a joke at this point. You know, the first few times it's like embarrassing, and then after that, there's no shame in it anymore. I know who I am. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, my dad is just furious over there when he's got a drink spilled in his lap. I can't wait to be But it eating. was, it's, I haven't done it, you know, on my dad in a while. Um, my sister <laughs> just did one on him. Uh, oh, your sister played like, Yeah, a few months ago. But, oh, um, yeah. Dude, dads are always taking it. Dads always get dumped on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always the dad. Oh, get, yeah. My mom's, my mom's clean, come out clean the other side. I've seen my mom catch a drink a time or two but not much not nearly as much as dad yeah. getting drink getting drink on. I may have spilled like a water on my mom or something but if I'm spilling something on my dad it's gonna be like a sweet tea <laughs> you know or like or coffee or like a milk <laughs> that's, I think that's the worst thing that you could possibly spill on someone is milk or a hot coffee for sure coffee or milk either yeah. one of those just and milks I think milk's even worse because you're not getting rid of that smell like it's gonna smell like milk oh it's not good. Yeah. The one my, my sister spilt on my dad was uh, they went out to a bar, or they went out to a brewery and watching a Wofford basketball game. And she, like, first drink, gets it full pint, dumps it, dumps it straight in his lap. It has to, <laughs> has to walk out of that brewery like he peed his pants. That's the uh, worst thing about it. I don't know. Is he, a drink spill right, right in the lap. It looks like you. It looks like you wet yourself. Of things that humans do that make me laugh, I think drink spilling is by far the funniest. We just had a we just had a staff lunch. Um, Travis took us out, very nice, and thanked us for you know the year and everything. And Cody's sitting across the table from me, and the whole like, I feel like I'm whenever opposite ends, whenever we go out and eat, you're always like you're in the splash zone to anybody <laughs> who's around me. Oh, yeah. and you're just rooting. I like I'm Dude, super, I'm, I'm dying for it to happen. I'm pretty careful now because I know if I do it and you're there, it's just, it's just I mean I'll. Oh, never, I'm gonna cry. I'll never I, hear that. I would have if you would have done it on Friday, on Ellie. Oh yeah. I would have I would have laid in the floor, cried. I'd have been laughing so hard because I'd already told everyone else but Ellie. And I, I like, Steely was sitting over there near me and Michelle and she like noticed. That I got into a story and I was telling a story to somebody and my arms started moving and they're Everybody's starting to start. Yeah, starting to my arms are starting to go as You're I'm getting, getting animated. This, yeah, getting a little animated and she's like, "You better be careful." <laughs> Who told you that, Steely? <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's she's watching out for you. She, she hadn't told you that. Drinks would have been spilled. I don't know, maybe. Dude, I'd already. I even took a bet and I at the table. I said, "What do you want to bet, Sam's? We're gonna." I'm dump so it. glad I didn't spill. Oh, I wanted it to happen oh. so bad, so bad. That I think that constitutes going on the board, like drink spilling. And he, and yeah, if it's on work on work time. Yeah, yeah, drink spilling. If you got other ones that go on the board, or if you've got good drink spilling stories, 
You can send those to me. I can't. I'll, I'll I can't wait. Hard. I can't wait to come into the office and just clear my number off and put a big zero back oh, there by my name. <laughs> yeah, that's good because it's gonna happen for you more than it is me. I think. Uh, I think it's gonna. You have a lot of goose egg days. <laughs> um, last thing before we get off here, since we're planning on having some guests coming up soon, I don't want to do it then. But uh, it's been a while since we told you that you know. This podcast is free, and you're listening to it for free. So help us out, support us, um, come and uh, participate in an event. But if you don't do anything else, get on the uh, whatever platform you're using to listen to uh, podcasts and give us a uh, five star, five star rating and uh, a good review. That helps us, you know, almost as much as cash. Not quite, but let's see events we have coming up. Free events. More free stuff for the freeloaders is uh, we got the we have the PD Wildlife Refuge birding trip. It's always a big hit. People love it. It is a big hit. I went. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily. I, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of a birder. I love watching waterfowl and um, watching birds. And uh, I went into there with low expectations and was blown away. Really, really fun. Um, it's on a Friday, so you might have to take a morning off work. But we're meeting at seven. Um, and it's really fun. I think you, uh, you know, if you love the outdoors, you will like that trip. It's free. Just come on out. Um, you can go on our website, threeriverslandtrust.org, yep. and go to Upcoming Events tab, and you can sign up right there for it and come and join us. Um, the Conservation Classic Sporting Clays Tournament is in March, and we just opened a registration for that. It's also really fun. Um, that one costs some money. But, yeah, you're, but you're winning prizes. But you're, yeah, there's yeah. prizes. There's um, a full round of sporting clays. There's lunch, good meal, um, all kinds of fun stuff there at that. And all the money, again, as always, goes to conservation. So um, come join us for that. Check it out. If you have any questions about it, you can email us and ask us about it. But teams of four. Um, so it'll be on a Friday as well, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, on, it's always on a Friday. Um, yeah. So a good, a good excuse to... Support a charity and take a work day and um, yeah, bring your bring your work bring group. your work yeah that's we, what we uh, that's kind of what this that event's catered towards is mm-hmm. corporate groups corporate sponsorships um, yeah bringing a team and and shooting for their business yeah um, so yeah come on out to that it'll be fun it's there's always a prestigious fun. trophy for uh, you got a traveling trophy for the winners yeah so if you if you win you uh, get your name on the on the trophy and get to take it with you and. Generally, some some gift certificates or cash prize type deal. Yeah, um, lots of cool stuff. It's fun. It's fun to see uh, see all you shooters out there and get it on. Yep, that's all I got. Yeah, support the podcast, support Three Rivers, and uh, we'll talk to you in a week or so. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.